Welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. But before I do that, if you could please subscribe to the uh, podcast channel wherever you are listening to, whether it be Apple, Spotify, uh, Google, all the other various podcast uh, locations. And please, if you could leave me a review, because when you do that, it does help me out letting people know this podcast exists and also it uh, helps me out in um, sponsorships later down the line. But with that all being said, let's start off with Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with Bobby Lashley coming out for an in-ring promo. He is your new United States champion. He beat Theory at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Uh, the fans would chant for Bobby. Bobby has seemed to be the uh, top guy, at least for the baby face, the good guys on Raw. Bobby comes out here with a big smile on his face. Bobby talks about Independence Day since Raw did happen on the 4th of July and how much Independence Day means to every single one of us. And he is so glad to be your new United States champion. He mentions how it isn't the title that makes the man. It's the man that makes the championship. And he says that there isn't any man in any division or promotion that can beat him for the United States championship. And then as he's feeling good in saying this, out walks theory. Theory walks out cocky and arrogant, and he walks out holding the Money in the Bank briefcase because he won the Money in the Bank uh, briefcase at Money in the Bank when he got added in as the eighth man. And Theory talks about how he became the youngest Money in the Bank uh, holder. Theory talks about how uh, he was in the ring with seasoned vets and former Money in the Bank winners and how he had to overcome all that and that he proved to the world that he can do this all day. Bobby talks about how Theory got into the match because Lashley broke his fragile ego and how Mr. McMahon had to put him into the Money in the Bank matchup. Theory takes exception to that and lets Bobby know that at SummerSlam, he's going to get a rematch for the United States Championship and how he's going to cap off the SummerSlam show by saying that he's going to cash in and become the undisputed champion after Roman and Brock Lesnar have their last man standing match and he plans on cashing in on the most a weakened man because that is the most opportune time. Bobby tells him, you forgot to say if. If you make it to SummerSlam. Theory would then throw his briefcase into Lashley's face. Lashley would catch it, but then Theory would hit him with a forearm. Then Theory would take his briefcase, start smashing Lashley over and over again with the briefcase. And now as Lashley's on the ground, Theory's waiting for Lashley to get up to hit him with one more final briefcase shot to the head. But... Lashley would back elbow Theory and then hit him with one hellacious spine buster. And then you would see Theory roll out of the ring with the briefcase. And this would not be the last time Theory and Lashley would have to face off against each other because they will be in a six-man uh, tag match later that evening. Now, the first match of the night was the Mysterios going against Judgment Day, who consists of Finn Balor and uh, Damian Priest. Rhea Ripley is still injured at the moment, so she was not with them. Uh, the Mysterious would win the match by disqualification when Damian Priest would get uh, Finn Balor a steel chair and slide it into him. Damian then would get on the ring apron, distract the referee, and Dominic would try to grab the steel chair away from Finn, but Finn would push Dominic out of the ring. Now, Finn is about to hit Ray with the chair. Ray sees this, so he pulls Eddie Guerrero and drops to the mat and act like he got hit. The fans cheers for this, and the referee would turn around and see Ray on the mat and Finn with the chair, and he would call for the bell. So the Mysterios win by disqualification. Again, I mentioned this a couple podcast episodes ago when I was talking about, um, I believe it was Santos Escobar going against uh, 
Braun Breaker when he wore Eddie Guerrero tribute. All the Latino wrestlers, whether you're in WWE, AEW, or even on Impact, anywhere else, they're going to pay tribute to Eddie Guerrero in some way, form, or fashion. I always love that about the Latino wrestlers. They're going to pay tribute to Eddie any way that they can. I, I love it. Every time I see it, I absolutely love it. Um, Finn would be upset by this, and the Mysterios would be walking up the ramp. Later in the night, we would see Finn and uh, Damian attack the Mysterios backstage, leaving them laying on the ground. So this feud between the Mysterios and uh, Judgment Day isn't over by any long shot. After this, we would have The Miz going against AJ Styles. Again, this is a continuation of their feud. Uh, AJ would win the match by pinfall when he hits Miz with a phenomenal forearm. This was a rematch after last week's matchup had The Miz walking out and AJ getting the win by ring out. This time, AJ wins. And after the match, Ciampa would attack AJ from behind. He would throw AJ into the ring post and then he would try to look to hit AJ with a knee to the face. But AJ would move out of the way, and AJ would him with a Pele kick. AJ then had Ciampa set up for a Styles Clash, but The Miz would attack AJ and hit him with a skull-crushing finale. Miz would then look at Ciampa, and then my Ciampa would look at Miz, and they shake hands. So it seems to me that Ciampa is now siding with The Miz, and we still haven't gotten any reason why Ciampa is with The Miz or why he continues to attack AJ Styles. They still haven't given Ciampa any microphone time. WWE is failing to utilize Ciampa because he is a great in-ring uh, interview. He's a great person on the mic. He actually can speak. So whenever they do give him time to actually explain himself, that'll be great also. It seems to me this is what they're setting up for. Um, I did not cover this last week, and I didn't cover it on Money in the Bank neither. Um, Logan Paul. Logan Paul has signed with WWE, and they making it known that he's going after The Miz. So it seems to me they're going to have a match at SummerSlam. I think what we're leading up to is basically another tag matchup of this time Logan Paul and AJ going against The Miz and Champa. If we don't get that, I can see just basically Logan Paul with AJ in his corner going against The Miz, who had Champa in his corner at SummerSlam. That's where I see this thing headed. Uh, after this, we will get Liv Morgan coming out for her in-ring promo. Liv Morgan's out here to celebrate becoming the new SmackDown Women's Champion. She won the Money in the Bank briefcase at Money in the Bank, and she cashed it in on Ronda Rousey later that night to become the new SmackDown Women's Champion. Liv will say that she is so proud to be here as a SmackDown Women's Champion. She said that she's dreams have come true at Money in the Bank and that she had to go through six tough competitors to make it happen. She thanks the fans constantly for believing in her, and that's what's powered her through all of this. She would raise the title up and say that this isn't for her. This is for all of us. The fans would cheer for her. And then out walks Natalia, who will be a player hater. And Natalia will tell Liv that she needs to be thanking her because she was the reason Ronda was weak. She mentioned how she beat up Ronda's knee during the match and applied the sharpshooter. And that's the reason why Ronda was in a weakened state for Liv to cash in. Natalia says that she doesn't need to thank you, but she wants to take the championship off of Liv. Liv tells her that you know where to find me. I'm on SmackDown now, so if you want a match, you know where to find me at. Carmella will then come out and ask both of them why they're here, because this isn't SmackDown, and that they need to take their problems to SmackDown, leave Raw in the spotlight to Carmella, because she is the main attraction. Liv would tell Carmella that if you want me to leave, make me leave. Carmella would then look at Natalia, and Natalia and Carmella would attack Liv. So now it's a two-on-one beatdown until... Bianca Belair comes out to even the odds. Liv and Bianca would 
get Carmella and Natalya out of the ring, and then Adam Pearce would come out and make a tag match with the four ladies. So you have Bianca and Liv going against Carmella and Natalya. That happens literally after the announcement makes way. And Bianca and Liv would win the match by pinfall when Natalya would try to lock in the sharpshooter on Liv, but Liv would push Natalya off into the ropes and Liv would hit Oblivion for the win. And after the match, you had the nice little uh, champions raising their championships together. Bianca raising up the Raw Women's Championship, Liv raising up the SmackDown Women's Championship. They clink it. And it just was a nice feel-good moment because you got two champions that the fans like and they really, really... Uh, wanted both champions to win the belts. They wanted Bianca to win the championship at WrestleMania when she won against Becky, and they wanted to live to be champion for a long time, and uh, she's finally got the opportunity. So it was a good moment to see two champions that the fans really, really enjoy. Uh, after this, we will have Seth Rollins going against Ezekiel. This match came about because uh, they had a barbecue or street profits had like a barbecue at raw and all the raw rosters was out there and ezekiel had a hot dog and tried to spray ketchup on it but he ends up spraying uh seth with ketchup and seth's wearing all white again i told you i hate wearing all white because if anything is on white your white outfit is messed up so i'm pretty sure that was like a prop outfit and he was able to throw it out anyway that's how this match comes about Seth and Ezekiel have a good match, but Seth would win the match by pinfall when he would slip out of a backslide pin and hit the curb stomp on Ezekiel for the win. After the match, Seth would start walking up the ramp, and then he would stop and look back at the ring. Seth would walk back to the ring and wait for Ezekiel to get up to try to hit him with another stomp. And as soon as he's about to run over to Ezekiel, Riddle would have popped out from nowhere and hit an RKO on Seth. And this is a still accumulation of Seth and Riddle's problems that they've been having for the last two weeks. So I can see them having a match at SummerSlam too, because again, those two know how to put on a good match, and I would personally enjoy seeing it. After this, we had a six-man tag. Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits going against Theory and Alpha Academy. Bobby would get the win for his team when Bobby would hit Gable with the spear. This was a good six-man tag match. This match, if anything, it really showcased Dawkins more than anything. We knew what Bobby Lashley can do. We're seeing what Montez Ford can do when Montez Ford gets uh, the opportunity to be in the ring and everybody's looking at Montez Ford because he's putting a lot of muscle in and uh, everybody sees exactly where Montez Ford could be. He could be a main eventer whenever the time comes about. And Angelo Dawkins really showed out here. He was actually able to hold his own and match with the intensity and the power of uh, Bobby Lashley and Montez Ford, and he also was able to match up with the high-flying ability of Montez Ford as well when he hit a top Hilo onto the Alpha Academy and Theory on the outside. So he's not letting those rumors of, hey, we're just going to have Montez Ford go up to the uh, main event status while you being the little guy, like WWE's not going to pay you no attention. No, Dawkins hears everybody. Dawkins hears exactly what everybody's saying. He hears exactly what the rumor mill is going. He ain't allowing that to go down. So if the Street Profits do happen to split, they're going to do something with Dawkins because Dawkins is not going to allow them to not do anything with him. So I like that they're giving Dawkins shine and letting people see what Dawkins actually can do. Um, after this, we will have R-Truth coming out dressed up as Uncle Sam. Again, this is still celebrating Independence Day. He would say that we are here to celebrate the brave men and women that saved America from the aliens. And he's referencing Independence Day, the movie. 
Uh, Ludwig Kaiser would appear on stage and he would introduce Gunther and then a referee would follow and then we would get a match between Gunther and R-Truth. Gunther would win the match real easily when his truth with a powerbomb for the win. Again, this was another uh, match. I don't know why. I think this was just to let people up for people to use the restroom or anything before he got to the main event, which was a no-holds-barred match between Becky Lynch and Asuka. Becky would win the match by pinfall when she would put Asuka through a table by hitting her with a manhandle slam from the second turnbuckle for the win. One personal highlight for me out of this match was when Asuka would try to spray the green mist into Becky's face, but Becky would use an umbrella and open it up to stop Asuka from spraying her with the mist in the face. That was really, really uh, innovative for me. I liked seeing that maneuver spot, but they use a lot of things. They use uh, chairs, they use a steel uh, trash can, they use the table. It was no holes bar between them. I don't think they used kendo sticks. I don't remember them using it. So, it was still a good match. It was a raw main event. They can't go all stupid because they just had money to make the night before. They're probably still beat up. But for what they went through the night before and what they put out the product for the main event on Raw, it was still a good main event for them. And the independence uh, show for Raw, it wasn't bad at all. I would suggest if you're going to watch any match of this, I would say the six-man tag and also uh, Seth Rollins versus Ezekiel and also the main event, uh, Becky and Asuka and Noah's Bard. Now it's time for uh, NXT. NXT had the Great American Bash, and the first match of the night was the NXT Women's Championship matchup. Roxanne Perez and Cora J going against Toxic Attraction's own Gigi Dolan and JC Jane, who had the NXT Women's Champion Mandy Rose in their corner. Roxanne and Cora would win the match, becoming your new NXT Women's Tag Team Champions when Gigi and JC were going to hit their tag finish on Roxanne, but Cora would run in and attack uh, JC Jane. And they would roll out the ring. Roxanne would then grab Gigi, hit her with Pop Rocks for the win. Again, not Pop Rocks the candy. Pop Rocks the move called Pop Rocks uh, is known as Code Red on the independence, But on WWE, they call it Pop Rocks. Uh, Roxanne would hit Gigi with that and then win the match like that. And you would get later in the night, Cora Jade and Roxanne would have a backstage interview. And they would talk about how great it is to be the tag team champions and knock it knocking Toxic Attraction off their high perch that they're on. Roxanne will take it a step further, and she would announce that next week she's cashing in her breakout tournament opportunity and that she will be facing Mandy Rose for the NXT Women's Championship. So Roxanne has a possibility to become a two-champion in NXT, being the NXT Women's Champion and being one half of the NXT Women's Tag Team Champion. I can't wait to see that match because right now, with the way the momentum is going, they could pull it off, and Roxanne could be a double champion. After this, we will have Wesley going against Trick Williams, who had Carmelo Hayes in his corner. Trick Williams will come out in an outfit paying homage to the great Muhammad Ali, and Trick Williams would uh, win the match by pinfall when Carmelo would hand Trick Williams a bottle, and Trick would spray some of the liquid in the bottle on his hands, and then Trick would pass the bottle over to Wade Barrett, and Trick would get back in the ring and rub uh, his hands all over Wes's face, and on commentary, you heard Vic Joseph and Wade Barrett talk, and Vic is trying to tell Wade to smell the bottle because it smells like rubbing alcohol, and Wade says, that don't smell like nothing, dude, because Wade likes uh, Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams. He doesn't pay attention to the uh, alcohol. Trick would then blind Wes with the with his hands that had rubbing alcohol all over it, and then Trick would hit a roundhouse boot to the face of Wes for the win. 
you know what this match is when you see it. This is leading to more or less West having a feud more with Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes because Carmelo did pass the ball bottle over to Trick Williams. So this would not be the last you would see a West going after Trick uh, tonight. After this, you will have Wendy Chu going against Tiffany Stratton. The match technically didn't begin until later uh, because Tiffany would get attacked by Wendy Chu backstage as she was getting her makeup done, and then they will fight uh, backstage, and they will lead into the ring, and then that's when the referee would ring for the bell. And so they have the matchup. Tiffany would win the match by pinfall when Tiffany would stomp on Wendy Chu's left arm and then drop kick her into the turnbuckle. Tiffany would then go to the second turnbuckle and hit her spinning splash for the win. And again, I'm saying it right now. I think Tiffany is more or less next in line to win the NXT Women's Championship if Roxanne Perez beats uh, Mandy Rose for the NXT Women's Championship. I can just see it because they're putting Tiffany in a lot of uh, matches. They're putting her on television time. They don't usually put give you that much television time unless they're going to do something with you. And the way that they're positioning Tiffany, they seems to me that they're going to put her in a spot where she's going to have a championship opportunity sooner. So if Roxanne does happen to win against Mandy, I could see her uh, going against Tiffany. And that would be her first like official opponent for the NXT Women's Championship. After this, we will have Apollo Crews coming out for an in-ring promo. Apollo would start out by saying for the last year, he would show his kids what he was doing and he would ask them for their thoughts. And when they saw him, they said that they didn't know who he was. So Apollo is basically saying that uh, WWE's whole repackaging him as the whole Nigerian accent and all that type of stuff was a failure. So that made him realize something had to change, and that's the reason why he came back to NXT, and that's why he got a spark back, and he thanks his uh, kids for that. Apollo mentions that there are people in NXT that he will love to face, and that the fans will love to see him face, and he started naming names like Tony D'Angelo, Nathan Frazier, and then he mentions that he'll be watching both North American and NXT championship matches because people will love to see him face either winners of the match. Then you would get Giovanni Vinci coming out, and he would ask Apollo why he didn't name him on his list of dream opponents. Giovanni would tell him that he doesn't blame him for leaving him off the list because not only can he match him in the ring, but he also can outclass him all around. Apollo tells him to get in the ring, and let's find out about that. Giovanni would say that tonight he isn't dressed to go out in the ring. He's dressed to go out on the town, but... Next week, they can find out, and it gets made official. Apollo will go against Giovanni Vinci next week on NXT, and Giovanni lets Apollo know that he has seven days to come up with an excuse to say to his kids on why he lost to Giovanni. So Giovanni made it personal. Apollo just smiled at it, but I can't wait to see this match between Apollo and Giovanni, to be honest with you, because Giovanni is a hybrid style wrestler he can high fly he has power he has speed the same thing like apollo so with two hybrid wrestlers going at it and i don't know how it's gonna work apollo just got back in nxt i'm not sure if they're gonna have him eat a loss giovanni just got in nxt what three weeks ago technically after being repackaged as a new character so i'm not sure if they're gonna have him eat a loss what is giovanni gonna get so mad that he's gonna like kick Apollo in the nuts or grab a steel chair and start beating on uh, Apollo with it. I don't know. That'd probably be the safer route. 
That'd be my way of doing it, but we'll have to see next week on NXT. I can't wait to see that match, me personally. Uh, after this, we had a North American Championship matchup. Grayson Waller going against uh, Carmelo Hayes, who had Trick Williams in his corner. Carmelo would get a special entrance. And what I mean by special entrance, I mean by uh, Trick Williams would introduce Melo like he was an NBA player. Melo would stand up from a steel chair and walk towards the entrance ramp, and sparklers will appear. And this made uh, Carmelo feel like a big deal. And NXT is positioning Carmelo to be literally a big deal to be the guy if Braun Breaker goes down. He will be the next guy positioned up. So I can see Melo being that next guy up once Braun either gets uh, drafted to the main roster or Braun will lose the title to Melo. That's the way how they're positioning Melo as this next guy up. Melo would win the match by pinfall when Grayson was looking to hit his rolling stunner on Melo, but Trick was standing in the way of Grayson. Then you see Wesley pop out from the crowd, and he would attack uh, Trick Williams. And now you see Trick out of the way, and you see Grayson try to, again, go for his rolling stunner, but Melo would jump and hit uh, Grayson Waller with a code breaker. Melo would then go to the top turnbuckle, hit his leg drop to the back of the head of Waller, which they now call nothing but net, and he wins the match by pinfall. So Carmelo Hayes is still your NXT North American champion. Great match between both of these men, too, because they both know each other, and they both try to play dirty with each other. They both try to uh, out-cheat each other. They both try to outsmart each other. It was a nice match between both of these guys. After this, we had the NXT Tag Team Championship matchup. The Creed Brothers going against Roderick Strong and Damian Kemp, basically Diamond Mine imploding. Uh, the Creed Brothers would win the match by pinfall when Julius Creed had Roderick Strong and hit him with the Oklahoma Slam and was in position to hit Roddy with a sliding clothesline. But Roderick would tag in Damon. Damon would eat a Oklahoma Slam and sliding clothesline for the win. So the Creed Brothers is still your NXT Tag Team Champions. The story in this matchup was that Roderick Strong is going to make Julius Creed blow a gasket. He kept on trying to get Julius Creed off his game and make him get upset to the point that he uh, loses focus, which never happened. And then after the match, you had the Creed brothers in the middle of the ring raising up the NXT tag titles. They lifted up Damon Kemp, shook his hand, lifted his arm in the air, while Roderick Strong just looked at all three of them. And Julius never looked at Roddy as he lifted up the championship. So Roddy is kind of being the odd man out in Diamond Mine. So this has some future ramifications going along down the lines for weeks to come on NXT. Will Diamond Mine completely implode? Will Roddy turn his back on Diamond Mine? Will Diamond Mine kick Roddy out of it? I don't know. I'm invested in this story between Diamond Mine and uh, Roddy right now. After that, it's time for the NXT main event. It's for the NXT championship. Braun Breaker defending his championship against Cameron Grimes. Throughout the whole show, you would get Braun Breaker uh, being asked, is his shoulder okay? He would say that his shoulder's fine. He would go to the trainer. The trainer would try to put some kinetic tape on it. He would tell him, nah, he's good. He doesn't want to put a target on his shoulder because Cameron Grimes would try to attack it. And then you saw Cameron Grimes walk over to Braun in the, earlier in the night and he told him, and he asked him how his shoulder was. He said it was good. So Cameron Grimes know that Braun's shoulder is messed up. And that's what Cameron Grimes basically targeted throughout the whole match. Braun would win the match when uh, Cameron throws Braun's shoulder first into the turnbuckle and then hits him with the cave-in. 
Grimes thinks he's got the win. He pins Braun, but Braun will kick out at two. Grimes will then go to the second turnbuckle, jump off, but Braun will hit them with a spear, then cover him for the win. So Braun Breaker is still your NXT champion. He's holding on to his shoulder because his shoulder took some damage in that matchup. After the match, Braun is on the stage, and he's holding up his championship, and then he's attacked from behind by J.D. McDonough. It's formerly known as uh, Jordan Devlin from NXT UK. Uh, he's got a new name, J.D. McDonough, because he's now over on the NXT American brand. So you will see J.D. put Braun through a table, and he makes his intentions known that he's going after Braun. And I'm cool with this. You know what? Braun Breaker having JD going after him, or formerly known as Jordan Devlin. Jordan Devlin is a, a great wrestler. He's did battles with Walter on the Independence. Uh, he's done battles with big men. So JD going after um, Braun Breaker. It's a nice, quick way to establish Jordan Devlin, JD, however you want to announce him, as a threat to Braun, especially in this weakened condition that Braun is in. I like that we're going this route. And also, I like the route that we're bringing in these UK talent over to the States and giving them these uh, position, these spotlights to let the fans know who they are, make them feel important. Like with Pretty Deadly. Pretty Deadly came in, they attacked the Diamond Mind. Uh, now we got JD or Jordan Devlin here. Uh, Kaylee Ray, when she came over, what, I believe last year? Two years ago, technically before the... Yeah, two years ago, when she technically came over, before she had to go back to the uh, UK brand, she was over here, she was made a big deal, and then she came back last year, and then she was still became like a big deal. So I like that they're moving UK-branded wrestlers over to America and giving them a shot. And I like that also they're bringing some of the American NXT wrestlers over to the UK brand, like uh, Josh Briggs and... Brooks Jensen, they're now their NXT UK Tag Champions. I like how they're doing that. So I like the influx, the trading of talent when you do see it on the NXT brand. Anyway, NXT Great American Bash, great show. I would recommend if you're going to watch any of the matches off the show, you probably want to go and see uh, Carmelo Hayes and uh, Grayson Waller. Great, great outing between both of those guys. Now it's time for AEW Dynamite, but before I get into the results of what happened, uh, the backstage vignettes or interviews that happened during Dynamite were as followed. We had Claudio Castagnoli and Jake Hager talking with Tony Schiavone, and the premise of this was that they will be going against each other next week at Fighter Fest Night 1. They would throw a couple jabs at each other with Jake claiming to Claudio that he's been a world champion in WWE, while Claudio was never a world champion in Ring of Honor in WWE. Again, they are on opposing sides. Jake Hager's with the Jericho Appreciation Society, while Claudio Castagnoli is with uh, the Blackpool Combat Club. So this is the reason why these two are going at each other next week. Um, we would have Jay Cargo, Kiara Hogan, and Stokely half the way backstage with Tony Schiavone. And Jade would ask Stokely, what was that last week? And she mentions uh, Layla Gray basically joining with them last week after she failed to beat Jay Cargill last week for the TBS Championship. Stokely told her, listen, it's one thing for somebody to want to beat your butt. It's another thing for somebody to want to beat your butt, then want to save your butt. And he talks about how he only had to pay Layla Gray $1,100 to do that. And for right now, she's going to be an interim baddie while Red Velvet is out. So she is joining Jade and Kiera. Jade let Stokely know that if this thing fails or she screws up, 
is all on him. So Stokely is now on some real thin ice with Jade. Also, we would get some confirmation that Ring of Honor, who are owned by AEW, will be having a pay-per-view on July 23rd, Death Before Dishonor, and on the card it will be Samoa Joe going against Jay Lethal for the Ring of Honor television title, Wheeler Yuta going against Daniel Garcia for the Pure Championship, and backstage FTR would throw out the challenge to face the Briscoes for the ROH tag title, so this will be their second time meeting with each other. I'm hoping that this leads to the Briscoes showing up on AEW Dynamite. There was a thing uh, roaming around how there was a um, TNT or TBS executive that didn't want the Briscoes have any affiliation with AEW. So hopefully with the Briscoes being mentioned up on AEW television, we will at least see them and somebody in the uh, Turner executive uh, meeting or whoever is up there has either been loosen up on their beliefs of the Briscoes coming in or they are being removed because the Briscoes, they deserve a big break on national television. They've been doing a lot of independent stuff. They've been holding down tag team wrestling for a long time since the two thousands before the Bucks were known everywhere. The Briscoes were known on the independents way longer before the Bucks. So if the Briscoes ever show up on ring of honor or uh, AEW television, that would be greatly appreciated. Now going on with happened on AEW, uh, we, the first match of the night would be a street fight for the TNT Championship. Warlow going against Scorpio Sky, who had Dan Lambert, Ethan Page, and some guys from the American Top Team. One guy in particular that I did notice was Kevin Matthews. Uh, he's an independent wrestler, so they probably had to put him in the American Top Team getup so he can be there for this. Uh, here's an interesting note, too. When Warlow was making his way down to the ring, Excalibur mentioned that Warlow, this is his second time going at the TBS, well, not TBS, TNT, championship and the first time he went after it he lost because of mgf this is the first time in a month since mgf begged tony khan to fire him that his name has even been mentioned on aew programming so this allowed me and it lets me know that mgf is coming back soon i wanted him to be away farther long not coming back soon because when you start mentioning names they're coming back so mgf is coming back uh sooner than i personally rather Nam him coming back. Anyway, Warlow would win the match by pinfall when he is Scorpius guy with three power bombs for the win. We all knew going into this match, the uh Warlow was going to beat Scorpius guy to be the TNT champion. It was already written in stone. Uh Street Fight, I would have loved for them to incorporate a lot of things more in the Street Fight concept, like chairs, candlesticks, and all that type of stuff. They didn't do none of that. The only thing about a street fight was that uh the American top team guys did beat up on Warlow. That was the only thing, but Warlow being jacked as he is, he was able to outpower all of these guys. But congratulations to Warlow being the new TNT champion. After this, we will have Christian Cage coming out with Luchasaurus. Christian will call the fans pieces of crap for wanting to know why Christian turned his back on Jungle Boy and now wanting to know why Luchasaurus has allied himself with him, uh, Christian. Matt Hardy will come out and he would let Christian know that he knows what he's trying to do. He's trying to suck up as much money as he can from Luchasaurus. And Matt Hardy says, listen, I did the same thing. I can't be calling you out because that would make me a hypocrite. He mentions that he did the same thing to Private Party and Butcher and the Blade. And he feels guilty about that. So that's the reason why he doesn't want uh, this to continue happening. Matt also mentioned that his life has been upside down for the past couple of weeks. And this might be karma. So, again, this is another reason why he doesn't want to see another wrestler get taken advantage by a veteran. Christian would tell Matt that you think you know Jungle Boy better than I do. You think you're friends with him? No. I've been around them, and I know what's the deal. And he would 
say that Matt's trying to keep his name in the spotlight because Christian is the biggest thing out here right now, and Christian has the spotlight. Christian would say that Matt is using everybody that he can use to keep the spotlight. He uses his wife, his kids, his father-in-law, and his brother, Jeff Hardy. Here's the thing, Matt. You're starting to make your brother sound like the sober one. Your screw-up loser brother isn't even the most embarrassing thing to your family. You are. So when Christian says all that, Matt Hardy would throw his mic down because he's tired of Christian talking about his brother. Luchasaurus would get in the way and he would headbutt Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy would then roll out of the ring. Luchasaurus and Christian would follow Matt. Luchasaurus would throw Matt into the steel steps. Then he would pick him up, put Matt's head next to the ring post, and kick Matt right in the head. So Matt's head was literally in between Luchasaurus' boot and the steel post. Christian would tell Luchasaurus to put Matt through the timekeeper table. Luchasaurus does that by chokeslamming Matt through the table. So this is still continuing Christian's whole, uh, I would say his whole terror on the AEW roster because he's just going to continuously come out here and talk about Jungle Boy's parents and Jungle Boy as a whole week by week. This is his, what, third week doing this? So with him doing this for the third week, I can see him constantly doing this, and we're always going to get this until Jungle Boy comes back. And also, uh, with Jeff Hardy's name being mentioned, I can see that Jeff Hardy was okay with this, or at least he gave AEW the okay, because there's no way they're going to just throw his name out here like that without getting the A-OK. So that's the reason why I was like, okay, that's fine for them to use uh, Jeff's name in this. If it wasn't, if it comes to find out that Jeff never ever agreed to that, I'm going to look at AEW a side, side eye with that because I don't like whenever somebody's on their downward spiral and they're trying to get help and then they get used like in a storyline like this. I don't like people that are dead being used in storylines. I don't unless it's like uh, to further something like the way that Seth Rollins did with Cody and Cody was able to get his come up is on Seth. You kind of knew that it was coming. Um, but Again, when people are on a downward spiral and you're using their personal tragedies in a story, I kind of get on the tense side of it, but I get it. It's wrestling. It's fictional. All the people have to know about it. But just me as a fan, I kind of get like, that was kind of a little bit bad, bad taste. But, hey, Jeff had to know about this. Um, after this, we would get a tag matchup with the Butcher and the Blade with the Bunny in their corner going against Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee. These two teams had a great matchup. Uh, it was a great match between both of these teams, and Swerve and Keith would win the match by pinfall when Keith and Swerve would hit their tag finish, the Spear Bomb, and a double stomp combo for the win. After the match, you would see Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs come out, and they're pissed off. They mention how they're tired of being disrespected by Lee and Swerve because of the treatment that they constantly receive because of the where they came from. They're meaning WWE and this, the accomplishments that they have done previously over there, and Ricky Starks basically tells him that, yo, you guys are in AEW now. All that means nothing. You guys are at the bottom while me and Powerhouse Hobbs are above you. We have constantly beat you in the ring and out of the ring on the mic. You guys can't do nothing to us. We are the best tag team here. And then as soon as Ricky says they are the best tag team, out walks the AEW tag champions, the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks will congratulate both teams for being good teams. They do mention that. And they mentioned how they had a great four-and-a-half-star match at Double or Nothing, and you're talking about the triple threat for the AEW tag titles. The Bucks would mention that that four-and-a-half-star match would be a night off for them. They're constantly putting on bangers, five-star, six-star matches, and they mentioned how at Double or Nothing, both teams couldn't get the jobs done while they did beat the Jurassic Express a couple weeks ago in a ladder match to win the AEW tag titles. The Young Bucks then would throw out a challenge for a triple threat 
tag title match next week. And they would say, you two teams going against the best tag team in the world. And then you start hearing the fans chant loudly FTR constantly. The Bucks would have to mention that they're the best tag team here and they beat them and the fans know it. And they would say, you two teams go against the Young Bucks for the AEW tag title. So we get that matchup next week of Swerve and Keith Lee going against Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs going against the Young Bucks for the AEW tag titles. I hope to God. And I really do mean this. I hope to God Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs do win that because they have busting their humps ever since Ricky Starks has gotten back literally wrestling in the beginning of 2022. Ricky Starks has been busting his hump. Powerhouse Hobbs has been busting his hump in 2021. Team Taz has been constantly clawing at something. They need to win that tag title match next week. I understand we just gave the Bucks the tag titles, but if you look back at that triple threat ladder match, which was advertised, it was the Hardys, Bucks, Jurassic Express. Hardys got taken out because of Jeff Hardy's personal issues, but if Jeff Hardy didn't have those issues and the Hardys were still in that matchup, the Hardys were supposed to win those tag titles. And since we had to pivot and put the belts on the Young Bucks, them losing next week without technically getting pinned won't hurt them. So I'm advertising and I'm hoping that Team Taz wins that because Powerhouse Hobbs needs something and Ricky Starks needs something. Those two have been constantly busting their butts since they have been given the ball and they constantly score every time they're on in the ring. So I hope that Team Taz does get the win next week. After this, we have Eddie Kingston come down to the ring for an in-ring promo. Eddie would congratulate Warlow for being the new TNT champion and he would congratulate everybody last week on Blood and Guts, his team, and he even says Claudio and specifically, and he even looks at Shivani says, hey, look, I'm growing up, and then he blows a raspberry. Eddie would say that Jericho made him out to be a liar and that he didn't get to taste Jericho's blood and that he's going to get Jericho. Jericho would pop up on the screen and tell Kingston to watch this, and then the screen would show Ruby Soho's hand in the car, and then you see Ty Conti swing a car door and slam it on Ruby's hand, and Jericho would tell Kingston to watch himself because he might end up just like her. The reasoning why Ruby Soho got beat up is because Ruby Soho came down to Kingston, the Blackpool Combat Club's defense last week when Ty Conti tried to get into the Blood and Guts uh, cage. So Ruby Soho aligned herself with Kingston because that is one of Kingston's friends. So I can see Kingston next week getting at Jericho or, if anything, getting at Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti next week because Kingston is a ruthless guy. After this, we will have Dark Order come out. You have Evil Uno, uh, Alex Reynolds, John Silver, Number 10, that's uh, Preston Vance, Anna J, and Negative One, which is Brody Lee's son. Uh, Evil Uno would say they thank everyone for staying with them and that they are going to be staying with AEW. And they mention how all six of them are here and that uh, this is a new chapter for the Dark Order and that for new chapters, Negative One should open it up. So Evil Uno hands Negative One the mic, but QT Marshall comes out and trash talks this. He says, how long do we have to deal with this charity case? Are we really going to be waiting until Negative One's 18 years old? Then we can finally move on from this. QT will tell Negative One that he came out by himself without his factory guys. So why don't Negative One tell the Dark Order to go to the back and have these have him and Negative One uh, settle this in the ring. Negative One is about a good, what, 10-year-old, 11-year-old kid? So that's pretty weak. So Hangman Page will come out. Hangman 
is kind of associated with the Dark Order. He's not officially with the Dark Order, but he's affiliated with them. Hangman will come out. He would deck QT in the face, and then you see everybody in the Dark Order get a piece of QT. Eventually, with QT Marshall being laid out by number 10 when he hits a discus lariat in honor of Brody Lee on QT Marshall. Negative one will tell QT as he's laid out. He would pin him now, but he's going to wait until he's 19 to do that. So negative one is going to be with AEW for a long time. And I'm glad they gave uh, negative one his moment in Rochester, New York. This is uh, his father, Brody Lee's uh, hometown. And this is real, real special for the Dark Order because Rochester is a Dark Order country. Again, Brody Lee was the uh, guy who was in charge of Dark Order. He passed away in late December uh, 2020. So it was good to always pay tribute to Brody Lee. I'm glad AEW constantly keeps uh, Brody's name and memory uh, alive. After this, we had the matchup of Penta Oscuro with Alex uh, Abrahantes and Phoenix in his corner going against Roosh, who had Andrade and Jose in his corner. Roosh would win the match by pinfall when Penta would hit Roosh with the package pile driver, then cover him. Andrade would put Roosh's foot on the bottom rope and let the referee know it. So then you would see Phoenix walk up on Andrade, and the referee would look at Phoenix and Andrade on the outside. And while this happened, Roosh would kick Penta in the nuts, and then take Penta's mask off of him, then roll him up for the win. So La Faction Egonables has a win over the Death Triangle. Again, this is good to continue on into something until we get another member of La Faction, and I'm pretty sure we're probably going to get Dragon Lee joining his brother Roosh with Andrade. Again, that'll be pretty cool. If we don't get Dragon Lee, somehow get Bandito. Bandito, I think, will fit nicely with them. After this, we've had the eight-man tag matchup. The Acclaim and the Gun Club with Billy Gunn on the outside in their uh, corner going against Leon Ruff, Fuego Del Sol, and Bear Country. Austin Good one would match for his team by pinfall when Max Caster will hit the mic drop, which is an elbow drop on Bear Bronson. And Austin will tag himself in when Max Caster was on the top turnbuckle. Max would look at Austin while Austin got the pin. And then you would see the acclaim walk up to the guns, asking them what they're doing. And then you see both teams talk to each other before Austin clothesline uh, Anthony Bowens and then Colton Gunn punch Max Caster. Now you got the gun club beating up on the acclaim. Billy Gunn would get in the ring and he would look upset. He would throw both of his sons off of the acclaim and yell at his sons to cut it off, cut it out, knock it off. And when he does this, you see Max walk up on Billy and he just taps Billy on the shoulder and Billy just clothesline Max. And then you see Anthony Bowen start getting up and he looks at Billy and he throws up the scissors and he wants Billy to scissor him. But Billy has a disappointed look on his face and he looks like he's about to scissor Anthony Bones, but he hits Anthony with the Famouser. And then you have the father sons hugging it out right there. So you have the gun club reunited all together as one, as they have laid out the acclaimed, this super funny stable that I swear AEW cut their water off before they can even fully get running has disbanded. I am Sad about that because the Acclaim, they're going to be babyface tag teams. And I'm glad for that. That's cool because the fans love the Acclaim. The fans are kind of annoyed at the Gun Club. The only time they actually participate with the Gun Club is when they call them the Ass Boys. And uh, you had a lot of chemistry, a lot of comedy bits between the Acclaimed and the Gun Club whenever they were together. And again, I am disappointed that this super group got cut 
off so shortly. We got so many stables in AEW. I mean, this one more stable wouldn't have hurt. So, uh, somebody threw out on Twitter the idea of uh, AEW bringing in Road Dog to be the manager of the Acclaim. There's a way you could do that, but I have a feeling that if they did do it, we were just going to get another swerve of Road Dog joining up with the Gun Club since Road Dog's been like Billy's tag partner in WWF and even uh, TNA for a long time. And then when they went back to WWE, they were still tag team partners. So, I mean, I would love to see the Road Dog coming into AEW to be the manager of the Acclaim. I would love it and him to actually stick with the Acclaim. But if they can't do it tastefully, I just don't just don't do it at all. After this, we get a tag match. Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm going against Marina Shafir and Nyla Rose. Thunder and Tony would win the match by pinfall. When Thunder Rosa had Marina Shafir in the fire Thunder Driver, Tony Storm would jump off the second turnbuckle and assist Thunder in hitting the move. And that's when you see Thunder pin Marina Shafir for the win. A fair match between both of the ladies. I mean, this was just a get-up matchup after uh, the fans got disappointed with the acclaim being like destroyed by the gun club. So I can see why they put this match here. And again, this is going to build up to Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm getting another match with each other. So I'm cool with it. Now it's time for the main event, the AEW interim world championship matchup. John Moxley defending the championship against Brody King. Moxley would win the match by referee stoppage when Moxley would hit the paradigm shift on Brody King and then lock in the bulldog choke. Brody would fight out of it and breaks it when he had Moxley on his back and then he has a backdrop, but Moxley would get his breath and then apply the choke again. And then that's whenever you start seeing the ref look at Brody and you see his face start turning red and his eyes started to fade. That's when the referee starts calling for the bell. So John Moxley is still your AEW Interworld Champion. We're still going to wait for till Punk is recovered from whatever surgery that he had on his leg so he can get that unification matchup. But for right now, with all the top stars being out with Adam Cole, Kenny Omega, uh, CM Punk being out, uh, even MGF kind of being away right now. With John Moxley waving the flag of AEW, AEW is in good hands. And that's your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling last week, well, last Friday to me was specific, had a pay-per-view and it was called Against All Odds and I'm about to read the results, so we're having it Against All Odds. Uh, Motor City Machine Guns defeated Bullet Club's Ace Austin and Chris Bay. Deanna Perrazzo and Chelsea Green defeated Mia M and Mickey James for the Impact Exhibition Championship. Mike Bailey would defeat Trey Miguel for the Impact Knockouts World Tag Team Championships. Rosemary and Ty Valkyrie would defeat Tennille Dashwood and Jazeel Shaw. They will retain their women's uh, knockouts tag titles. The Impact Tag Team Champions, the Good Brothers, America's Most Wanted, and Heath did defeat Honor No More's Eddie Edwards, Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, Kenny King, and PCO. And Ravens Clockwork Orange House of Fun match was basically another uh, no disqualification, no holds barred matchup, anything goes. Moose defeated Sammy Callahan with help from uh, Steve Macklin. The Impact Knockouts World Championship matchup. Jordan Grace did defeat uh, Tasha Steeles to retain her Knockouts Championship. And in the main event, the Impact World Championship, Josh Alexander did defeat Joe Doring to retain his Impact World Championship. Now, with that out of the way, let's talk about what happened on Impact Wrestling. They would run a vignette of Killer Kelly. She is coming to Impact Wrestling. For people that don't know who Killer Kelly is, she would 
mostly be a mainstay over in the European side, basically be competing over there in uh, Germany, England, over there, over in the independence over there. If you haven't seen her, I would suggest go check out some of her matches on YouTube. She did compete in WWE again over the NXT UK brand side of things. She did get released in 2020, but um, she had a f- couple of good matches here and there. But again, if you're not familiar with her, please check her out on YouTube. Uh, first match of the night will be an X Division Championship matchup. Allen Angels will be making his Impact debut, going against the champion Mike Bailey. Mike Bailey would win the match by pinfall when he would hit Ultimo Weapon, which is a front flip, uh, double knees to the back of Allen Angels for the win. It was a good match from both men, especially Allen Angels, because this is his first time being like out of the Dark Order shadow, and since he's been released, well, since his contract. Uh, expired with AEW. He didn't get released. His contract did expire, and AEW did not re-sign him. He is now his own man. He's his own uh, person. He can go to any wrestling organization that he wants to, and he's in Impact, and he had a good match with Mike Bailey. Again, good match that showed off what Allen Angels could do since he's no longer with a huge crowd like the Dark Order, and it was a good matchup from both men. After the match, you saw Mike Bailey and Allen Angels uh, shake hands with each other, but that would get ruined when Diener and Joe Doring of Violent by Design will come out and attack both men. And Diener will get a microphone and proclaim that their issue with Josh Alexander isn't over. And he will call out Josh Alexander to come out here. But instead of Josh Alexander coming out, Eric Young will walk out to the ring. Eric Young has not been seen from Impact Wrestling since uh, Slammiversary where he lost to Josh Alexander. So this is our first time seeing Eric back in Impact Wrestling. Uh... Eric Young would ask Diener and Joe Doring, what happened and how did we get to this point here? This isn't my design. This isn't what I designed this group to be. Diener would tell Young that he thought this is what he wanted. Since Eric Young couldn't win the title from Josh Alexander, they would have Joe Doring do it and bring the title back to the family. Eric would then ask Diener, okay, how did that work out? So Diener has a quiet look on his face with a shame look. Eric would tell Diener that under my leadership, Joe Doring was an indestructible, undefeated monster. But now he's defeated. And he would go on this whole tyrant by saying that you guys are now been infected by them. You guys have now have the sickness in you. I thought you guys were better than all the fans out here. You guys were better than the people in the back. But it seems to me you guys aren't. You guys are just like them, and he's left with a decision that he should probably purge both of them. Diener would tell Eric that he's right, and he needs to give them a chance to make it up to them, make it up to him, and prove Eric that they can make things right. Eric would say, okay, and he lets Diener know that from here moving forward, instead of the slogan being, this world belongs to us, the slogan will now be, it belongs to me. So now... We're seeing Eric Young's true narcissistic arrogance coming out. And now we're starting to see Eric really pull the string on Diener. And Joe Dory didn't really look too amused by this. He looked at, like, he just stood there in emotion, like, all right, I'm just here. But he didn't really have any facial features in effect. I would have loved to see Joe Doring have a more angry look and look at Diener from time to time. He didn't do that. He just stood there, like, stonewall. So... Again, I'm not sure if there's going to add some levels of character to Dean, not Diener, but uh, Doring later in as the weeks will go by because next week 
we will get a six-man tag of Diener, Joe Doring, and Eric Young going against Josh Alexander and the Motor City Machine Guns. So with that match happening next week, we'll have to see if we're going to get some character development from these guys. Hopefully we'll do, but we shall see next week. Uh, after this, we had a matchup of Laredo Kid going against Trey Miguel. Trey Miguel would win the match by pinfall when Trey would hit a crossroads on Laredo Kid for the win since Trey Miguel's uh, right leg was bandaged up after he had his matchup with Mike Bailey at against a lot. So he came into this matchup literally with a bandaged up uh, right leg. So he was limited on the high flying moves that he could do. But when he did do some high flying moves, he was actually able to execute a lot of them flawlessly. And also he was actually able to perform a nip up with just one leg. So Trey Miguel is a special talent. And I see if we don't bring in Zachary Wentz with Trey Miguel, I could see Trey Miguel leaving impact whenever his contract is up and probably going to AEW or if not AEW going to WWE to be with his uh, other buddy uh Wesley that would be fun uh, after this we would get PCO with Vincent in his corner going against Black Tarus who had Crazy Steve in his corner this match will come about because earlier in the night we had a backstage uh segment of Honor No More with Eddie Edwards and specifically talking to PCO, talking about how failure is not an option, how PCO needs to decide whether he's with them or against them. And the only way he could prove himself is by defeating Black Tarus tonight. And PCO does do that when he beats Black Tarus by pinfall, when he would hit the PCO salt, which is a moonsault on Black Tarus for the win. This was basically two big boys just battling it and just throwing just everything that they can at each other. I mean, you had Black Tarus jumping off the top turnbuckle. You had PCO jumping off the top turnbuckle from time to time. I mean, these are two dudes that, when you look at them, you don't think they should be going off the top turnbuckle and doing some high-diving maneuvers. But when you see it, you're like, okay, that obviously is going to hurt. So it makes sense for why they do it. They just don't care about their body. So again, if you want to see two big dudes just basically just go at it, this is the match for you. After the match, you would get Honor No More coming out and clapping it up for PCO. And then you would see Honor No More look at Crazy Steve, and it looks like they're about to do something to him. But he would sneakily get in the ring, hit Kenny King with the wake-up call, which is, in better uh, layman term, the zigzag. And he would sneak out of the ring. And once Honor No More notices that Kenny King has been laid out in the ring, they turn around, and Heath is already outside of the ring, in the crowd just uh, enjoying what he just did to Kenny King. So this lets people know that Heath's, Problems with Honor No More isn't over yet. Also, you would see the Bullet Club, which is the Good Brothers, Ace Austin, and Chris Bay backstage watching what just happened. And they will talk about how they want to get a piece of Honor No More next week. And we get that match signed on for next week at Eight Man Tag. Honor No More going against the Bullet Club. After this, we will have Shiro, who has Raj Singh in his corner, going against Rich Swan. This is your uh, typical David versus Goliath, Big Man versus Little Man matchup. Rich Juan would win the match by pinfall when he would kick Shira multiple times in the head before hitting a 450 splash from the second turnbuckle for the win. Again, solid match here. Again, David Gurr versus Goliath. That's what we had in this situation. After this, we had the main event, number one contenders match for the Knockouts Championship. You have Deanna Perrazzo going against Mia Yim. The winner will be facing Jordan Grace at Emergence on August 12th. And also... People were banned from ringsides, meaning Mickey James and 
Also, Chelsea Green were banned from ringside, so it was a straight one-on-one competition between both of these ladies. Mia Yim would win the match by pinfall when Mia would hit a package pile driver, then eat defeat on Deanna Perrazzo for the win. So, Mia Yim will be facing Jordan Grace at Emergence on August 12th for the Knockouts Championship. After the match, Jordan Grace would come out, clapping it up for Mia Yim. Then, once she got in the ring, she would extend her hand out for Mia Yim to shake it. She shakes it, and so now the match has been an official. I like the match. They gave these women, I believe, a solid 19 to 20 minute match at the end of a show. And again, Impact Wrestling has been lighting it up with the women's division. You had a couple weeks ago, uh, Chelsea Green going against Jordan Grace, which was a good match between both of these ladies. You had uh, at Slammiversary, I believe it was the Queen of the Mountains matchup. And then months before that, you had the ladies knockouts uh, Ultimate X matchup, which I believe is on YouTube right now. If you go to Impact Wrestling, you can look up and see that match in its whole entirety on YouTube. Impact has been rolling out with the knockouts division and letting people know, hey, if you want great women's wrestling, you can go to Impact and watch women's wrestling done right, and you won't be ashamed by it. They're not going to be given less minutes. You're going to see women's wrestling actually done right. So if you are into women's wrestling, if you want to see women do wrestling and actually get a lot of time in the ring, Impact Wrestling is more like your destination to go there. They've been doing this for years but again they, at one point they had a fall off but right now 2022 they're hitting on all cylinders with all the knockouts all the women wrestlers that are coming in so again solid matchup between both of these ladies i thoroughly enjoyed it impact wrestling was a nice good watch it didn't drag or nothing so if you have time to watch impact wrestling i would really implore you start watching impact wrestling now we're off to smackdown smackdown will open up with an in-ring promo from the bloodline this is roman reigns first time being back on smackdown since his match with Riddle, which was about a month ago. And Roman's just so happy to be back here. He has a smile on his face. He talks about how he is happy to see his cousins. He's happy to see the wise man. And he looks at Paul and he sees Paul with a uh, not-so-happy look on his face. It's a face of disarray, to be more precise with you. And he would ask Paul why the long face. And Paul would tell him that he's worried. As a matter of fact, he's afraid. I, I love you, my tribal chief, but we have a problem, and that problem's name is Brock Lesnar. My tribal chief, Brock Lesnar has one last chance against Roman Reigns. Brock Lesnar has one last match against Roman Reigns. And when Brock Lesnar is cornered, that's when the beast is at his most dangerous. I know this for 20 years. Paul will continue on by saying that Brock would beat The Rock whenever he was 25 years old. Nobody expected a 25-year-old to beat The Rock for the Undisputed Championship. He beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania. And he's afraid that if we don't get the most savage side of Roman Reigns, Brock's going to do the same thing. But Paul isn't worried about that because he ends up hyping up Roman Reigns by saying we're going to get the most savage Roman Reigns. We're going to get the guy who's going to decimate Brock Lesnar and end him once and for all at SummerSlam. And then we would get the Usos throwing up the ones, Paul Heyman kneeling at the feet of Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns feeling himself, and then out walks Theory. Theory comes trotting out with the Money in the Bank briefcase. He runs all around the ring, and then he lifts up the briefcase to try to taunt Roman to play mind games with him, to let Roman know that, hey, I had the Money in the Bank briefcase. 
I'm going to cash it in. You should fear me. So again, this is still working into the spot that Theory's going to cash in the Money in the Bay briefcase at SummerSlam. It doesn't matter if it's Roman or Brock. That's what we're setting it up for. And to be honest with you, I don't know if they're going to pull the trigger on Theory winning the championship. I don't know. Right now, currently, I don't see them doing it. But hey, plans could change. After this, we would get our first match of the night. Viking Raiders going against Shanky and Jinder Mahal. Viking Raiders would win the match by pinfall. When the Vikings would hit Jinder with a double elevated powerbomb for the win. This was basically another squash match, to be honest with you. Nobody would have expected Jinder and Shanky to win. It was on nobody's radar. Viking Raiders did exactly what they were supposed to do. Uh, after the match, you would see the Vikings attack both Jinder and Shanky until the New Day came out. New Day would tell the Vikings that they didn't get the job done, and that's the reason why they're here. They beat them up for the past two weeks, and they still couldn't get the job done. So the New Day would say they have tickets, and tickets would read ass-beating on it. So they're planning on cashing in their tickets for ass-beatings to beat up on the Vikings. New Day would get in the ring, and that's their plans to beat up on the Vikings, but plans don't go as uh, planned, if you would. They would get beat up. They would throw a couple hits on the Vikings, but to no avail. Uh, the Vikings would beat up on the New Day and leave them laying. And this is their third week in a row laying out the New Day. Again, New Day being the guys to be beat up by the Vikings, it's it's uh, understandable because, again, New Day brings some kind of credibility, and this doesn't hurt the New Day at all, not even in the slightest. Out of this, we were supposed to get a Intercontinental Open Challenge uh, situation, but Gunther and Ludwig would decline that. Gunther would say that any champion that defends his title against an unknown opponent is a fool and that you must earn a title opportunity. Out walks Shinsuke Nakamura, and Nakamura would tell Gunther that he can keep his title for now, and he would then issue an open challenge to Ludwig. So Ludwig would then accept that challenge, and now we would have Ludwig with uh, Gunther in his corner going against Shinsuke Nakamura. Nakamura would win the match by pinfall when he would hit the Kinshasa on Kaiser for the win. And after the match, we would get Gunther getting in the ring and start shouting at Kaiser. And I mean, a demoralizing shouting at him to the point that he tells Kaiser to get up and stand still. So Kaiser does that and Gunther would chop him in the chest. He would then tell Ludwig to get up again. Ludwig would get up and you would see Gunther chop him again. And then he would tell Kaiser to get up. Kaiser would get up, and he wasn't trying to put his hands down, but Gunther would grab Kaiser by his arms, put him down, and then he would chop Kaiser again in his chest. So in total, Gunther chopped Ludwig in his chest three times, leaving a bruise on his chest. So this shows you that Ludwig is going to one day turn on Gunther, but right now, that's not the day. It's going to just be like a more of a, uh, a disciplinary type deal. You gotta keep. You gotta win, because if you don't, Gunther's basically gonna chop the chest out of Ludwig. That's where we're going at with this. After this, we would get Liv Morgan coming out for an in-ring uh, interviews with Michael Cole. Liv is out here to continue celebrating her win at Money in the Bank and being the SmackDown Women's Champion. Michael Cole lets Liv know that Ronda was hurt when Liv did cash in, and Ronda will be coming back, and she might come back as soon as SummerSlam. And he asks her how she feels about that. Liv would say that she's ready for the challenge. Cole would then talk about the hardship that Liv had to endure to get to this moment and ask her what it feels like to be in this moment right now. Liv would say that she has dreamed about this 
her entire life. And there were moments in her time wherein she thought she wouldn't be here. But she would say, just like her hero, John Cena, would say, never give up. And you would get player hater coming out, Natalia. Natalia would come out, and she would say the same thing that she said on Monday Night Raw. She's the reason that Liv's the champion. She hurt Ronda Rousey. That's the reason why Liv cashed in, blah, blah, blah. Natalia does say that she might have lost a match against Ronda, but she did enjoy injuring Ronda in the process. And then out walks Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey would come out. She has a little limp in her walk, but Ronda would congratulate Liv, but tell her to savor this honeymoon phase because at SummerSlam, she's going to learn that challenging for a title is way easier than defending the title. Then Ronda would ask the fans in attendance, do they want to see her beat up Natalia? And Natalia would sneak attack Ronda, beat up on her a little bit. Liv would pull Natalia off of Ronda, hit her with a forearm, and now we got our match set up for Natalia going against Ronda Rousey. Ronda would win the match by submission when she would get Natalia in an ankle lock and make her tap out. This is further proving that Natalia is not better than Ronda Rousey, which, eh, I mean, I understand Natalia's place on the roster and like she's just the go-to if you need somebody to make somebody look good in the ring and all that type of stuff. Like she's the veteran in all the women's for the women's division on the main roster. I get it, but. I wish they would have gave that spot to like a Shotzi or somebody because Shotzi really does need the time on television. And Natalia, again, it's almost like the New Day situation. She could be on television and it will not hurt her, not in the slightest, to prop up anybody else. After this, we would get Maximum Male Models coming out and they would introduce their tennis line. This is just another way that they did last week for Max Dupree and Marseille and Monsois to come out here and just model for everybody in attendance. I don't know what this is leading up to. I would like to see the first interaction of somebody interrupting their modeling show and see uh, Max Dupree's guys beat up on whoever interrupts them. That's going to be interesting when it happens. So I can see that happening, what, next week? If not next week, the week after that. But uh, I can't wait to see that finally happen and see Mace and Mansoor actually get in the ring and do some damage to them. After this, we were supposed to get a tag matchup of Aaliyah and Lacey Evans going against Shotzi and Shayna Baszler, but that doesn't happen. Aaliyah will be out here, and then she will be waiting for her partner, Lacey Evans, to come out. Lacey would come out, and she would hear the crowd kind of cheer, kind of boo. So then she would do her entrance two more times and still get the same reaction. She looks aggravated at this. She would walk to the ring, get a mic, and she would tell the audience that she's disappointed in them for the way that they're treating her. Lacey would mention that she told her life story. She told all about her struggles, what she's been through, and that they simply don't appreciate her. Lacey would run down the audience and say they weren't standing on their feet for her and that she's an American hero. Lacey would say that until she gets the respect that she deserves, she tells the audience to go to hell. Lacey would drop the mic, and as she's about to leave the ring, Aaliyah would grab her by the arm and try to tell her, hey, we got a tag match coming up. But Lacey would hit Aaliyah with the woman's right, which is a right hand to the face, and leave Aaliyah laying. So this has made basically Lacey Evans turn a bad guy, or just make her turn heel. And people were already suspecting that already, so the prophecy has come. After this, we had the Usos going against Los Lotharios for a championship opportunity matchup. Usos will win the match by pinfall when they hit the 1D on Humberto for the win. After the match, they were interviewed in the ring and they were asked about what happened at Money in the Bank in their matchup with the Street Profits and they were declared as cheaters. 
The Usos would say that if you call Penny and the Street Profits in the middle of the ring cheating, then they cheated them. They would say that they put the mishap on the referee because the referee didn't see uh, Montez Ford arm up, well, his shoulder off the mat, so that is not on them. Kayla Braxton will let the Usos know that they will be having a special referee in their tag title match at SummerSlam. The Usos say it doesn't matter who it is as long as they count the three because they'll hit the Street Profits with the one and done. And they will then hit their catchphrase saying that the Street Profits are the twos and the Usos are the ones. So we're going to get the Usos going against the Street Profits at SummerSlam. I do wonder who's going to be the special guest referee. I do wonder that because that's going to be real interesting. After this, we were supposed to get uh, Drew McIntyre versus Sheamus, and the winner was supposed to go against the Undisputed Champion at Castle Clash at the Castle, but we didn't get that match. Uh, Sheamus would start coughing, and he would say he hoped he doesn't have COVID, which I find in real bad taste, because COVID is still a thing out here. Yes, it isn't as deadly as it once was when it first came out, but it is still a harmful situation. I didn't like that uh, shot that he said right there. And he says that he has a suitable replacement. He says that Butch will be taking the spot tonight. So that does not mean that it was for the uh, number one contendership for the castle at Clash of the Castle situation. This was just a basically an exhibition match between Drew and Butch. Drew would win the match by pinfall when he hits the Claymore kick on Butch for the win. After the match, Ridge would attack Drew from behind, but Drew would beat up Ridge, and he would roll out of the ring, and then Drew would get his sword and point it at Sheamus. Sheamus would get on the ring apron and tell Drew he doesn't have it in him to swing it. Drew would swing the sword on the top rope, snapping the rope. Sheamus would drop off the ring apron once Drew swings the uh, sword, and Sheamus would look petrified because Drew actually did have it in him to swing the sword. So... It seems to me we're going to continue this whole crap between Drew and Sheamus. I find it personally boring. I find it not exciting because we know Drew's going to challenge for the Undisputed Championship at Clash of the Castle. It's already been said, what, a month ago when Drew said came back from being, basically being the WWE uh, figurehead over there in Europe. So it's stupid while we're doing this, but I mean, cool. It's killing television time. But that's just SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. You didn't miss none on SmackDown if you happen to miss it. Now off to AEW Rampage. Rampage will open up with a match between Eddie Kingston and Kanosuke Takeshita. Kingston would defeat Takeshita by pinfall when Kingston would hit Takeshita with a back fist and then pin him for the win. Uh, good match between Kingston and Takeshita. I can see today having more uh, matches, not against each other, but like Kanosuke being in AEW more. It seems to me that they are trying to build their relationship with um, DDT with having Takeshka in AEW, so I can see him uh, being around longer. And also, this match with Kingston was actually a good match. I mean, with Kingston still wearing the injuries award that he went through with uh, the Jericho Appreciation Society last week on Blood and Guts with his stomach being bandaged up. It was a nice match for both of these men. Later in the night, we would get a backstage uh, video from Kingston. Kingston would say that he wants barbed wire all around him and Jericho because he wants to get revenge for what Jericho and his cronies did to Ruby Soho on Dynamite. So it will get announced that on July 20th, it will be a barbed wire death match between Chris Jericho and Eddie Kingston with the Jericho Appreciation Society in the shark cage. So Chris Jericho and Eddie Kingston will be basically in a barbed wire matchup. After this, we have the tag team matchup of Gates of Agony going against the Ring of Honor World Champion Jonathan Gresham and Lee Moriarty. 
the Gates of Agony would win the match by pinfall, where Jonathan Gresham would leave Lee Moriarty, and he would walk down the ring apron and walk up the ramp. He would hug Tully Blanchard, and Moriarty would get hit with a discus lariat from Toa Leona, and then get hit with a gut buster from Khan, and that's how the Gates of Agony win their matchup. Later in the night, we would see... Gresham and Tully Blanchard talking backstage. Jonathan Gresham has aligned himself with Tully Blanchard Enterprises, and we are informed that next week on Rampage, Jonathan Gresham will be defending his Ring of Honor World Championship against Lee Moriarty. So I see that going to be a good match between two technical wrestlers. It's going to be a good match on Rampage next week. I forgot to mention, the reason why Jonathan Gresham is aligning himself with Tully Blanchard is because uh, he said that he signed his contract with AEW in March, but he's been sitting home all this time. And while he was sitting home, he got a call from Tully Blanchard and he listened to what Tully had to say. So he would be a fool not to listen to Tully and align himself with Tully. So that's the reason why Gresham is now with Tully Blanchard. After this, we would get Serena Deed in the Ring of Honor Women's Champion Mercedes Martinez going against Kayla Sparks and Christina Marie. Serena and Mercedes would win their match by submission when Serena would lock in the Serenity Lock on Christina and would make her tap out. This was a game of one upsmanship between Serena Deed and Mercedes. After the match, you would see the referee raise up Mercedes and Serena's hands. Serena would clothesline Mercedes and then lock in the Serenity Lock, having Mercedes tap out. Serena would then go and lift up the Ring of Honor Women's Championship, so you know what Serena's going after. So more or less, we're probably going to get a matchup between both of these ladies at the Ring of Honor Death Before Dishonor pay-per-view. It has not been announced, but you can always tell where wrestling is going. After this, we would get the main event, Orange Cassidy going against Tony Nese. Orange Cassidy had Dan Howes in this corner, while Tony Nese had Smart Mark Sterling in his corner. Orange Cassidy would win the match by pinfall when Mark Sterling would get in the ring as the referee was looking at Tony Nese. And Mark was going to attack Orange Cassidy from behind with a clipboard. But Dan Hauser would get in the ring, take the clipboard away from Mark Sterling, and hit him in the nuts. Dan Hauser would then get out of the ring, and he would get on the ring apron. And you see Tony walk up on Dan Hauser, and Dan Hauser would curse Tony Nese. And as soon as Tony Nese turned around, Orange Cassidy hit him with an orange punch and then covered Tony for the win. So Orange Cassidy is building up more wins in the win column and. Sooner rather than later, he'll be challenging for one of the titles, whether it be the World Championship, the TNT title, or the All-Atlantic Championship. You can expect Arch Cassidy challenging for a title very soon. And I wouldn't be mad at that. Also, they gave Tony Nese and Arch Cassidy a lot of time in the ring, and I was I was excited for that because, you know what, Tony Nese doesn't really get to show off his skills a lot in the ring. He's always getting like relegated to, like, what? five to ten minute matches and he's usually like the butt of the match he doesn't like get a lot of his stuff in but this one he was actually able to get his stuff in with orange cassidy they work together real well i thoroughly enjoy the matchup and that's your rampage uh wrestling highlights of the week now before i get you guys out of here we got two topics to talk to you guys about uh the first topic is well this comes from twitter technically is because this week on Twitter, Chris Benoit's name was being uh, trending, and I didn't know why his name was being trended, but apparently people are still thinking about the Chris Benoit situation. Certain people were saying that his wife, Nancy Benoit, better known as woman, she managed uh, wrestlers in ECW, WCW, they want her in the Hall of Fame, and people were saying crap about Chris Benoit and all this type of stuff, and here's my take on the whole situation here. Nancy Benoit will never be in the Hall of Fame. 
If she ever goes into the Hall of Fame, I'll be shocked because personally, uh, I don't think WWE has the guts to deal with the whole Chris Benoit situation. I don't think so at all. I think WWE has did the best that they can by separating themselves from the Chris Benoit name. You can't even look up Chris Benoit on the Peacock uh, app. You couldn't look up his name on the WWE Network app when it was just their own thing. You couldn't look up Chris Benoit at all. He's been like erased from the WWE like history books, just off top. The only time you can get Chris Benoit's name is if you got one of their old uh, WWE uh, encyclopedias and they will always have Chris Benoit's name on there. Other than that, WWE has erased Chris Benoit's name off the annals of WWE, like legitimately. Even if you try to look up Chris Benoit's name on the website, you will get nothing. I've looked it up and I've done a whole project on this last year in 2021. There's nothing you can do. WWE has wiped they're slate clean with, w- with Chris Benoit. It's not happening. And for if you guys think that they're going to put Nancy in there, even though Nancy was married to the man, she was a victim of the heinous crime of what happened to her by Chris Benoit's hand. WWE is not going to put Nancy in there because they don't want to deal with the Chris Benoit name. They don't want to have nothing to do with that. So Nancy is never going into the WWE Hall of Fame. That's just, it's never going to happen, okay? So we can get off that train right there. Now, and WWE does decide to put on their big boy pants to actually put Nancy in. I will be shocked by that because then they will be taking a lot of hit. They'll be willing to actually step up to say, yo, we're going to talk about the Chris Benoit situation. Talk about how Nancy and their son Daniel was a um, victim of the situation with Chris Benoit. But then guess what? WWE will then have to face uh, the CTE situation, because people are going to bring up Chris Benoit having CTE after the fact. And again, you never know somebody has CTE until they are dead because you have to examine the brain. So they only get to examine the brain literally when somebody's dead. So they were really, really too late to catch on with Chris Benoit having CTE. So that would take WWE putting big boy pants on and actually talking about CTE and what they have done to really change up their programs and everything else in that situation. WWE has done that once, and that's whenever uh, the Benoit tragedy happened. It has been almost legitimately two decades. It'll be two decades, what, 2027? 2027, I believe. Yeah, 2027. It'll be two decades then. So, yeah, it's been 15 years since Benoit has passed, buddy. They're not going to do that. They're not going to put Nancy in. I'm sorry to everybody that believes that they're going to, but WWE isn't going to do that. So we can get off that train right there. And here's something that was reported this week, and this coming from the Washington Street Journal. It is reported that former WWE CEO Vince McMahon paid more than $12 million to four women to suppress sexual misconduct allegations. Uh, Vince McMahon, the longest, the long-term CEO of WWE who stepped down in June, paid four women at least $12 million total over the past 16 years to hide numerous allegations of sexual misconduct. McMahon also being investigated by the WWE board after was discovered in April, he paid $3 million to cover up an affair with the former employee. This new report indicates McMahon covered up more. So far, here are the four statements McMahon reportedly paid out per the journal. A $7.5 million Payment in 2018 to a former wrestler who alleged McMahon coerced her into oral, giving him oral sex, and then demoted her, and ultimately declined 
to renew her contract in 2005 after she resisted further sexual encounters. Another one is a roughly $1 million payment in 2008 to a WWE contractor who presented the company with unsolicited nude photos of Mr. McMahon she reportedly received from him and alleged that he sexually harassed her on the job. Another one is a $1 million payment in 2006 to a former 10-year WWE manager who alleged McMahon initiated a sexual relationship with her. And then another one, a $3 million payment in 2022 to a former paralegal who allegedly had an affair with McMahon. The board concluded the relationship between McMahon and this woman was consensual. The board also investigated a $1.5 million non-disclosure agreement from 2012 between the same former paralegal and WWE executive John Laurinaitis. So WWE is basically taking Vince McMahon to task because Vince McMahon has been paying off women for the past 16 years, so they rounded up $12 million. I don't know what to tell you personally. I don't know what to tell you. Vince McMahon has always been like a creepy dude. You can tell it even in the character. People might say, Joe, that's a character. He plays a character, but let's let's keep it a buck fifty here. 2002, in early 2000, my man was wild out here. He had Trish Stratus kissing him. He was kissing up on Trish. He was messing around on screen with Tori Wilson. He was messing around on the screen with Sable. I believe, what, was there any more? Oh, yeah, there was that one, like, from him, from time to time, it was, I believe, 2005, 2006. He had Candice, Michelle, and Victoria, and the ladies, like, around him. He was being, like, the ladies' man. The If you look back at 2005, Vince McMahon, 2005, 2006, Vince McMahon, when he had the women around him, you could tell the man was still a creep even then. So, Art imitated life. He kind of had some women literally on the side around that time. So, Vince was letting people know in his face, yo, this is what I'm doing. Him and Linda McMahon might have a little thing, an open relationship, or whatever the case, they might have it. Who knows? But point being, Vince McMahon has been messing around with women, and he's been doing it in front of everybody's face for the longest of time, but we just thought that was a character work, but nah. He's been messing around with women. So reading this right here, it doesn't shock me at all. He's always been Vince McMahon to me. And you always will hear from former wrestlers, even wrestlers on the documentary and all this type of stuff. Vince McMahon on the outside and Vince McMahon, the character, there really is no difference. They're technically the same identical person. Just the character just might be turned up just a little bit. But other than that, Vince McMahon is Vince McMahon. What you see is what you get. So that doesn't shock me when you put it all together from what former wrestlers have been saying on podcasts, from the interviews, and now with this situation coming about, and then when you look back at former footage of Vince on screen and with him with women, it doesn't it doesn't shock me in the slightest whenever this stuff comes out about Vince, to be honest. I think about this a lot. I think a lot of Hollywood execs are nasty people. I think a whole lot of people at the top brass when they were there in office uh, COO, CEO position, the big, big wigs. I think they're having sex with a whole lot of their co-workers. They're got a whole lot of, uh, sexual misconduct with a lot of their employees. I truly do think that whether it be man or female, we hear a whole lot about men because let's be honest, not a lot of females are in these high position, but I believe even in certain cases, I think we're probably going to see some women in some situations too. But we just would never ever be reported of that the way that men do. But long story less long. Vince McMahon has been creeping out for years. He's been paying money for years. 
this doesn't shock me at all. The whole thing is that, what are we going to do? Are we going to wait a couple years and have Vince McMahon step back into the light? Because they already let it be known. WWE people uh, that have worked for WWE, they've said that Vince McMahon is not stepping down. The only way Vince will ever leave WWE is if he happens to croak. So when Vince McMahon happens to croak, that's when we're going to see Vince literally step aside and move away from business. But until then, Vince is going to still be working at WWE. He just doesn't have the title of CEO. Right now, that title is under his daughter. But let's not get it twisted. Vince McMahon still kind of runs the show backstage. Or he might tell Stephanie what to do of those certain situations. But let's not get it twisted. Vince still kind of runs the show. Matter of fact, this whole Vince McMahon situation reminds me of an HBO show. If you guys have watched HBO show uh, called Succession, it's about an older gentleman by the name of Logan Roy, basically being the head of a business that he has his children in, and the children are trying to get the old man to step down so they can basically take over and lead the company into a new direction. But the old man isn't trying to let go. This is exactly what this is reminding me of with Vince. Vince is not going to let go until he passes away. The same thing with Logan Roy. He ain't stepping aside unless he has to die. But if you haven't seen Succession, I really, really implore you to watch it. It is actually a nice, good show. And it shows you how family works inside of a business and how uh, cutthroat it can be. But again, if you haven't watched Succession, you need to watch it. If you, if you have watched Succession... Trust me, you can see the parallels of Vince McMahon and Logan Roy whenever you hear about this and you see what Logan Roy has done on Succession. Trust me, you can see the parallels. But with that, this doesn't shock me with Vince. Now, with that all being said, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I hope you guys be safe on your journey. You guys might be in your cars. You guys might be in your homes, but please be safe. There are people out there on the roads that do not care about you, that just want to get from point A to point B. They do not care about your well-being. I do. Please be careful out there. I do love you all. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I hope you guys listen to my Sunday episode. It will be called um, Questions. There's a couple questions I got in there that I kind of want to figure out. But again, that's only if you do listen to the Sunday episodes. But with that all being said, I love you all. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. And Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.